Okay, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter 1. First one, but there were also but there were also false prophets. Oh, chapter one. You're reading I'm chapter sorry. two. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> That's because we want to get ahead. <laughs> Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like um, precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us by glory and virtue, verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, verse 6, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to those brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. For he who lacks these things are short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten, the, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure if you do these things, you shall never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good. So um, we are in Second Peter. We were in First Peter. So we're doing the letters of Peter up until Easter. So we're kind of moving through them somewhat rapidly, but uh, moving along. So... Two things are going on in the beginning of this letter. One of them is that Peter talks to us about our salvation. And in the opening verse, he says, to those who through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. So he talks about salvation, and then he's going to move on and talk about growing in this salvation. So this is how to grow in the Lord, but it's important, the distinction here, and we need to make it before we start to look at these verses a little bit more in depth. This idea of salvation is something that you had nothing to do with. It's totally Jesus. Now, when he talks about growing, maybe there's something we can do there. But this idea of this salvation that has come to us has come to us through the cross, through what Jesus did. The whole Old Testament sets up the way that you can be righteous with God. You can be righteous with God by keeping the rituals. You can be righteous with God by keeping the rules, by keeping the law, by doing all of those things. What you find out is nobody can do those. Nobody can do them. Nobody can live up to that. Jesus comes on the scene to die for us, to take our place on the cross. He is God incarnate. He is the perfect one. He dies. He dies for our sins so that whoever trusts in him would have their sins forgiven because of what he did. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what it says in Corinthians. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. So because of the work that he did in my faith in him, in what he did, I become perfectly righteous. Perfectly righteous in the sight of God. When God looks at me, he sees Jesus. I am covered in the blood of Jesus. I can't earn that. There's nothing I can do to get it. I can't buy it. I can't add to it. I can't subtract to it. 
The work of Jesus is absolute and complete. There's nothing you can do to change it for me. There's nothing I can do to change it for me. It's what he has done for me. By faith, I have put my faith in him because I have my faith in him. He has made me righteous. I am clean. I am righteous. I now need to rest in that. I didn't do anything. He did it. I'm resting in that. I need to have confidence in that, that I belong to God. I have access to God because of what Jesus did for me. It's all about him. It's what he did. And then Peter said, but now that you're there, but now that you're there, make every effort. So now I can put in some effort because I can, there's nothing my effort can do to make me right with God. That has to be Jesus. That has to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The Old Testament, they understood that. You go through it, it's a, people say the Old Testament, man, that is a bloody religion. It is a bloody religion. There's a lot of lambs and a lot of goats and a lot of animals losing their lives. There's a lot of innocent animals dying for the guilty. That's right. That's the picture. The innocent one dies for the guilty and sheds blood so that we might have redemption. It's what Jesus has done for us. No effort on our part for what Jesus did. Jesus did it all. Jesus did it all. But now that you're there, make every effort. And so there is something we can do to participate with God and to participate with the work of the Spirit in our lives now that we have such a great salvation. So in Peter's first letter, uh, how, to, how to Grow in the Lord, that's where we'll be, uh, salvation, there's nothing we can contribute to it. It's, it's all Jesus. And we need to give glory and praise to Jesus. As we gather together, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for me. But in growing, in growing, we participate. We participate in our own growth, which conversely, if you don't participate, you know what happens? You probably don't grow. You probably don't grow. So do you want to grow or do you not want to grow? Um, no, I think I'd rather just be a baby my whole Christian experience. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like, you know what, I'm just, uh, well, no, I want to grow. I want to, but I need to participate. If I'm going to grow, it's going to require my participation. So... Let's compare Peter's first letter to his second letter just a, just a little bit, some of, some of the background there. In his first letter, Peter uh, is moved by the suffering of God's people. And he talks about all of the outward pressure. Remember, Peter was a fisherman who came from the Galilee, becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church, in the urban church, the cosmopolitan church. And it's a... It's wild what's going on, the conversions and the miracles and, oh, my word, what's going on in Jerusalem. It's a revival. It's an awakening. It's unbelievable. Well, shortly thereafter, families start turning against those who've become Christians. After a little while, society in the synagogue is turning against those who've become Christians. It gets even worse when Imperial Rome starts to come down on the Christians and the Christians get scattered out of Jerusalem and they go all over the place because of the religious persecution and because of the political persecution. And so in his first letter, he's writing to those who've been scattered all over the place, talking to them about the suffering they're going through because of all of the external things, all of the things that are happening to them externally. And we got in depth into Caesar Nero and who he was and what it was like to live under Caesar Nero. Can you imagine living under that guy? That guy was wild. Well, Peter talks about that. But in his second letter, he's going to draw us in a little bit more. And he's going to be worried about the seduction of the people of God. Not from the outside, but even from the inside. In his first letter, um, he 
he addresses the attacks from without, and in his second letter, he's going to end up addressing the attacks from within, the things that are happening from within the body of Christ, the things that are being said, the prophets that are false prophets. If there are false prophets then, could there be false prophets now? The church was surviving what he called these fierce torments, but now he's worried about false teaching. So there's always the outside pressure and there's the inside pressure. All kinds of things. Inside the church, is there ever pressure inside the church? Divisions in the church? In his first letter, he tries to comfort the believers. In his second letter, his second letter he's, he's cautioning the believers. And he's going to draw heavily on his own personal experiences. But is there ever controversy within the church that divides the church? that makes it uh, not as powerful as it could be because it's fighting from the inside? There is, and, and there were some going on in the hallway just a little while ago. And it was over me. Because when COVID hit, I couldn't get a haircut. And I made a joke that I wasn't going to cut my hair until COVID is over. <laughs> and now in the hallway, some of us were just... We're just in a controversy as to should I cut it on Easter or should I let it grow? And some said cut it, and some said let it grow. See? There's a division going on. And if I cut it, I'll win some friends. And if I let it grow... <laughs> There's, there's, you know what my wife says? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> All right. Husband, submit yourself to your wives, for this is a good thing in the Lord. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> that was last week. That, that was last week with Tim, right? Okay. So, so Peter's going to use some of his personal experience in this letter. And of course, we want to know about Peter's personal experiences because he walked with the Lord. This is the guy that walked on water. So you want to hear from him. You want to hear about his stories. You want to hear about his life. Um, he has some experiences that we can learn from. But when we first meet him, he's a, he's a fisherman. And it's important, I think, for us to realize where he came from because he comes from the Galilee. He comes from the agrarian part of the country. He never really went anywhere. I'm sure his family went to Jerusalem for the Passovers, but just staying in Galilee generation after generation to think that he would become a leader in the city of Jerusalem and then become not only a leader of the church in the city of Jerusalem that had thousands of members, thousands. You know, he was a guy who was a fisherman who maybe had a couple of guys that worked with him. And now there's thousands of people he's responsible for. And then he finds out that he is right at the center of a movement that is expanding rapidly and becoming a global movement that's covering all of the Roman Empire. And he's writing to people everywhere. He's writing to people in Babylon. How did that happen to him? Well, some of them here, so what's uh, summing up Peter's M.O., if we were to go through the scripture and try to do his personality profile, you know, who was he and what did he become? And it said that he rushed in when he should have waited. Anybody know that one? I know that one. He slept when he should have prayed. Remember Jesus said, would you guys pray with me for an hour? And Peter was like, oh, yeah, hour, easy peasy, you know. And, <laughs> and they fall asleep. And it might be, there might be a lesson there. It might be that the answer to insomnia is prayer. If, uh, if you wake up and you can't fall asleep, go try to pray. There's a good chance you'll end up where Peter ended up. You might end up asleep. So Peter was talking when he should have been listening. Remember up on the mountain, he's talking, 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 and Lord, he's, he's talking over the Lord, talking over God. Um, he was courageous, but not always cautious. But the good news is that he grows and that he changes, and he's changed by the power of God working in him over a period of time. Over a period of time. It seems sometimes these changes don't come very rapidly, but they come over time, because the Holy Spirit is working in us even when we're sleeping. Isn't that great? 
you and were sleeping. I had somebody, it was a few years ago, they ran this whole thing at me about, do you know how many hours that kids do are on screens? Do you know how many advertisements they see? Do you know how many violent things they see? Do you know how many? I was like, whoa. I was like overwhelmed. There's like this crazy, like just these hours over the course of a year, over the course of a week, over the course of a month, all of this time that kids are being blasted with this stuff. And they said, and do you think that like an hour of Sunday school can counteract that? And I thought, no, I don't think it can. Like we need to, we need to get 4,000 hours of Sunday school in a year. <laughs> you know, like how are, we going to, how are we going to counteract this? Because the Holy Spirit's working constantly in a life. You get that word of God in there and, the, and let it interact with the Holy Spirit and it's constant and it's constant. So we're transformed, but it's, it's, uh, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit subtle. And let's get this because we said there's nothing you can do about your salvation. Jesus did that. You just put faith in him. You put your trust in him. You get the salvation, and then you rest in that. He did it. But there's more, right? Well, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And it is true that some people come to Christ to, to get what people call fire insurance. You, you come to him so that you're saved in eternity. And that's true. If you come to him and it's, and it's for real, sometimes people just do things and it's not for real. But, but God knows and you probably know. Well, you know, I have eternal life, so that's it. Well, Peter's going to tell us we should grow. We should grow in this. We shouldn't just get it for just that, but you can get it for that. Eternal life, this is eternal life. So yes, I received Christ and now I have eternal life. But that you might know him. Here's the definition of eternal life. Not just that I'm going to live forever with him, which I will, but this is eternal life that, that they may know him. We sang that song. I want to know you. Rachel made the point. Learn the scriptures. Learn to get to know him, get close to him, find ways to do it. That you, I might know him in this life, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent, that I might know him. So let's look at the introduction here, um, see what we can uh, get. Simon Peter, he uses both his old name and his new name. Jesus gave him a new name, Peter. The Rock. He's using his old name and he's using his new name. He sees himself as a servant, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And so a servant means a, a, a willing heart, given over to the will of another, devoted to another. And then he identifies himself as an apostle, which means a sent one. Sent to who? Sent by who? Who sends him? Jesus is sending him. This fisherman from Galilee, who probably never had 12 employees, who now is involved with this ever-expanding church of thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem, and many of the ruling priests are part of it. Imagine Peter's now leading them. A sent one, and sent to Jerusalem, and then sent to be an apostle, and sent to be one who's going to encourage the larger, universal, expanding church. Sent by Jesus. We know who it's from, and we know who it's to. It's to the scattered church those who were scattered all over the Roman Empire. So this letter was circulating. Can you imagine? His letter was circulating all through what we would now call Europe, Asia, Northern Africa. It's circulating all over the place. People everywhere are reading his letters. Uh, he's righteous. So let's get back to that one again because we're going to jump into making every effort, but let's get, let's get the two sorted out. 
Philippians said, and found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I am righteous in, in God, not because I obeyed everything in the Old Testament, not because I did the Ten Commandments, not because I brought all of those animals to be sacrificed for my sins, not because I kept all of the festivals, not because I did any of those things. It is not a righteousness of my own. It is his righteousness, and he makes me righteous. And Colossians tells us we need to put it on like a cloak. And I wear his righteousness. I am righteous because of what he did. And found in him having a righteousness, not that comes from the law, but that is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So he has done this for us. Because see what he says here? To those who through the righteousness, whose righteousness? The righteousness of our God and Savior have received a faith as precious as ours. He likens his faith to my faith. He likens his faith to your faith. We have the same faith as Peter. That's pretty cool, because we think of Peter as, you know, he's the one who walked in water. He was the one that was with Jesus. You know, John, he was so amazing. The Apostle Paul, he's so smart. Well, you know what? Paul was like us. Peter was like us. In fact, James writes, and he says that Elijah, that miracle-working Elijah, was a man of like passions, like emotions. He had the same emotions you have. He had the same emotions I have. And he was just like us, and God used him to do amazing things. A faith as precious as ours. A righteousness that comes from our Savior. Saves us from what? Saves us from our sin. He brings deliverance. The word salvation, it's, we've said it here many times, the Greek word transliterated into English would be sozo, S-O-Z-O. And that word is very difficult to translate in English, and it's been translated to mean many different things in the New Testament because the word is used, the word for salvation is used, the word sozo is used. When is it used? It's used for deliverance. It's used for saving. It's used for health. The great physician heals our hearts. He heals our, the sickness of sin. He heals our pain. He heals our emotions. He heals our minds. What other kinds of healing can he have? Healing from sexual brokenness, healing our bodies, healing our relationships. And here's the results of faith. We are righteous, and he begins to work in us. And then he says in verse 2, now that we have this righteousness from God, I am secure in him. I can wake up in the morning and I can talk to Jesus. I can wake up in the morning, I can talk to God. Verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. In abundance. You see, further on when it says, if you possess these things in increasing measure, you'll never be unfruitful in some translations. Well, fruit is abundance. Fruit just continues to grow and continues to grow. If you have a fruit tree, hopefully that thing will produce some fruit and continue to produce some fruit and continue to produce some fruit. And that's what's supposed to happen in our lives, that if we do these things, if we're walking in these things, our lives will produce fruit and people can pick that fruit and then it will produce some more fruit and people can pick that fruit. That's what was happening in Peter's life. He's just a guy from the Galilee. But his life becomes fruitful in abundance where the fruit from his life is not only touching the people that were in his little circle with Jesus and now has grown in Jerusalem, but now it's growing even more and now it's growing global, now it's covering everywhere and people can eat off of the fruit of his life. And so it is with, with our lives, that our lives become fruitful so that other people can pick off of it, so that other people can be blessed because of what God has done in our lives. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. We just cooperate with him. We just work with him. We just let him do what he's doing. Grace and peace. Um, peace is an interesting thing, isn't it? You get grace. That word is charis. It means gift. This is the gift you have. You have the gift of salvation. Now that you have the gift of salvation, what he's done on the cross, you have peace. 
Shayla, I think, is the only one that sings this song in um, this church. She sings that song that says, the war is over. I love that line. The war is over. Um, where there is peace, the war is over. When the war is over, that's a time for rebuilding. Probably the greatest rebuilding that ever happened on planet Earth happened after World War II. Things were devastated all over the globe, and everybody started rebuilding. Well, when the war is over, that's when you start rebuilding. So yes, he did it for me. There's nothing I can add to it. It's mine. It belongs to me, and it's my, it is my ticket to heaven. I got the ticket punched. Yes, I am going there. But Peter says, but in the in-between time, now start building. Now start rebuilding. Now is the time for new beginnings. The old is gone, the new has come. And grace and peace in abundance. And then he says, his divine power, that's the Holy Spirit in us. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He has called us. His righteousness justifies us. Watch, Peter's doing two things here. His righteousness justifies us, but his power enables us. His righteousness justifies us. I am justified, and I got, I got, my, I got my ticket in my wallet. What are you going to do with it? I don't know, because that train's not leaving for a long time, I don't think. So I'm just going to wait for the train to leave. No, you have his power that enables you, his power that works in our lives to transform us and to create fruit in our life so that other people can be blessed. And it is true that a lot of people just, uh, it's easy to just you know, get, the, get the ticket punched. But here's what he says. Through these, verse 4, he has given us very great and precious promises. How many? At least 1,200 promises in the Bible. Great way to study the Bible. Read the Bible from cover to cover with a highlighter and just highlight every promise. Just keep reading until you find a promise and then highlight it. Read some more and highlight it. Lots of ways to read the Bible. So that through them you might participate. Oh, you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires or by lust. For this very reason, because of these things, let's see what we have. Yes, there it is. Because of these things, make every effort to add, to add. And so since this is a math thing, you get to be part of the equation. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. I think that's where Tom got that, um, the name of his ministry. It's from faith to faith. It begins with faith, and it does end with faith. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, for it is written, the just will live by faith. And so he's go, let's, let's read them and then come back. For this very reason, make every effort, effort, there's the effort, there's the work. You didn't make any effort to get saved. Jesus made the effort. You didn't make any effort. That's his. But now, now that you're there, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to your goodness, knowledge, and add to your knowledge, self-control, and to your self-control, add perseverance, and to your perseverance, add godliness, and to your godliness, add brotherly love and mutual affection, to your mutual affection or brotherly love, add love. Because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective or unproductive. They'll keep you from ever falling. If you do those things, keep adding to them. Now, this isn't necessarily sequential or steps. It's kind of like if you were to draw this in a circle, we would put faith in the middle, and that has a dot, and each of these other ones has a dot around them. Faith is the one that connects all of them, and then they all interact together. They're all moving into each other. And so it's not necessarily sequential. If it was, that would be sort of good news in our growing experience, because when we're having trouble loving somebody, we could say, you know what? I'm only like a number three, the perseverance thing. <laughs> 
but I'll get there hopefully someday. <laughs> no, you need to like love now. And, and loving now might cause you to have to persevere. Do you know that? Love can be tough. Love can be hard. So we need to do all of them. Keep adding. Keep adding. It, you see, each one is supplying and each one is nourishing the other one. And, and having said that faith is the starting point, it's also the one that connects all of the dots. Let's look at them again. If, you are, if, if these are interacting in your life, you will never fall. You will never be ineffective. You, you, will, you will never be unproductive. You will never be lacking fruit. You will always have it. There's a promise. And it starts with faith, the starting block. And some make faith the starting block and the end block. And it is. It goes from faith to faith. But it's not just, oh, I put faith in Jesus and yeah, I, got the, I got the ticket. I got the ticket. You know, faith is a, it's a conviction. It's a belief regarding my relationship with God. I believe that I'm right with God. I am convinced that I am right with God. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. And faith is believing that God is able to accomplish what he's promised. It's belief in God, Jesus, the Spirit. It's trust. It's confidence. I'm confident in God that he will do what he said he is going to do. But then the next one says, add to that goodness. Some translations say virtue. So it's not only believe, but it's behave. Believe, yes, I believe in the cross. I believe in the cross. I believe in what you did for me. But it's not only believe, it's behave. Add, add now. Now that you've got that, add these things to it. In virtue... Virtue, we think in terms of purity, pure thoughts, pure motives, pure actions. Certainly it means those things. And when the Spirit is in us, when we don't have pure thoughts, when we don't have pure motives, when we don't have pure, he reminds us. The Spirit works in us to remind us. He's a good reminder. Um... Is the spirit like your, oh, like your phone or your watch where I can turn off the reminders? <laughs> I think in some ways we can dull the reminders. We can turn the volume down. If I can't turn the, if I can't turn the reminder off, maybe I can just turn the volume down by doing other things, by, by getting the spirit out of my life, by not listening. Because he wants it to be pure. He wants it to be good. He wants it to be right. You know, it probably falls into this idea of virtue, probably falls into modesty. And think of modesty as what? Well, modesty goes a long way. Modesty can be having a moderate estimation of my own talents, a moderate estimation of my own abilities, a moderate estimation of my own value. Being modest about it. Knowing who I am and who he is. And not only knowing who I am and who he is, but knowing who I am and the person next to me is. Because when I don't have a moderate estimation of my own talents, abilities, and value, it's because I'm comparing myself to somebody who's less than me. Because I can't feel that way when I'm comparing myself to somebody who's way ahead of me. And so having or proceeding... Um, uh, not calling attention to myself, free from showiness, free from pretension, virtue, modesty. The, the way that it was understood in Bible days was moral excellence, fulfilling your purpose. When you're fulfilling your purpose with, of your time, you're virtuous. When you're fulfilling your purpose with your money, you're virtuous. When you're fulfilling your purpose with your body, with your sex life, you're virtuous. When you're fulfilling your purpose with your strength, you're virtuous. And so add to your faith goodness, virtue, 
And then he says, add to that knowledge. Well, you should always be growing in knowledge. You should always be learning more. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your passion, all of your soul, your emotions, your experience, your, all of your mind, and all of your strength. So add to it knowledge. Always be learning. Always be growing. Always be reading the scripture. Always be finding out what's going on there. And so if virtue is integrity, and we said it's not just faith, belief, but it's behavior, and if virtue is integrity, it's not just integrity, but it's also information. Just keep getting more information. And know God not only in an information way, but in, a, in an experiential way. Knowing him experientially. Because knowing knowledge about God is different than the experience I have with God. And so the word know in the Bible can be used in a number of different ways. It can be to know intellectually, but it can also mean to know intimately. To know intimately. But be careful about how we stack up the knowledge. Because there's some very nice people that have some very strange ideas about God. And knowledge is a funny thing. And it says that knowledge can puff up, but love builds up. So it, it always happens with the scriptures, doesn't it? Like just when you find something good, like, you know, get some knowledge. Oh, good, you know. <sighs> going to get some knowledge. And then, and then you're getting your knowledge and you read this verse that says, you know, knowledge just puffs up. Like, oh, man, it's always, you know, it's always, it's, it's always moving. It's always alive. There's always, you know, so much to it. But a general understanding of our, our faith, a general understanding of what Jesus did for us. You know, if you read the Old Testament, you'll find out what Jesus did for us. Deeper, more perfect, enlarged knowledge. But watch out for your knowledge. Your knowledge can make you feel superior. Chuck Smith used to say that uh, when people come to Christ, he said it does seem like they get gooder. And he said, but you know, if, you, if you're not careful, what you do is you get good, and you get good and mean. Good and mean. Christian people can be quite mean. Because we have knowledge, and we have growth, and we have change, and you haven't changed. I have. <laughs> I'm the model of change. <laughs> Look up change in the dictionary, you'll see my picture. <laughs> well, add to that self-control. So stop that silliness. Self-control, not only taught, but temperate, temperance, moderation, self-restraint, one who masters their desires, one who masters their passions. You see, self-control deals with pleasures. While patience deals with pressures and problems, self-control deals with pleasures. You need to get it all in control. It's all a balance. It's all moving. And once you have one, that doesn't mean you've got the other. Balance. I use that word. I try not to use that word balance. People talk about balance. Oh, you want to have a balanced Christian life, just like a balanced breakfast. It's uh, you know, the key to life. Well, I get so frustrated with trying to figure out, well, how do, you, how do you have a balanced Christian life? I looked up the word balance. The dictionary says that balance is stability in motion. Stability in motion. If you're not moving, you're stationary. You're not balanced. You're stationary. That thing is in concrete. It's there. It's stationary. It's not balanced. If you take a pole and stick it in concrete, it will be stationary. If you stick a pole and try to balance it, it's going to always be moving. And so if you want a balanced life, you've got to be moving. You have to be growing. You have to be changing. You don't get there. There's no such thing as getting there. And so add to your self-control. Add, add, add self-control. And to your self-control, add perseverance or patience, steadfastness, constant, endurance. The characteristic of somebody who can't be swerved. You, know, you have purpose, loyal to the faith, devotion to God. Even in the greatest trials and suffering, persevering, sustaining, 
holding steady in the midst of it all. And then add to your perseverance, godliness. Is that like being like God or is it a reverence towards God? Probably all of the above. And then add to that brotherly kindness or brotherly love or mutual care, mutual affection, one for another, brotherly. I had a brotherly experience this weekend. Um, we had replaced the bathroom. And when we did, we took on all that old sheetrock, all that old stuff, all those enclosures, toilet, um, took, it all, took it all down and threw it on our front lawn. There was a toilet on my front lawn. <laughs> and it was there for a few days, and I thought, I better move the toilet to the back. So I moved the toilet to the backyard. But, but the rest of the stuff was still there, and we were going to get it moved, and uh, the contractor's truck broke. And so it took a few days adding them there, and, and then it was going to get done again, and then it snowed. And it was about a month with all of this junk. Toilets in my yard. <laughs> Two of them, actually. <laughs> but my brother came over and helped me with his truck. So brotherly love, brotherly affection. I'm a, I'm a recipient of it. Somebody who came and loved me, it says that a brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for a time of trouble. And I think in my neighborhood, I think that they were going to come and do something to me if I didn't get them toilets out of there. <laughs> How we treat each other. And then it says love, agape love, that sacrificial love. People mess up. One of my favorite proverbs, and I'm not sure you're supposed to have a favorite proverb. People say that, what's your favorite book of the Bible? I don't know, am I supposed to have a favorite one? Like, will God, will God get mad at me if I say, you know, my favorite book of the Bible? <laughs> what? You don't like the whole thing? Well, I like, you know. <laughs> but I love this proverb. It says, um, where there is no ox, the barn is clean. What's that mean? I mean, it's even hard to understand what that means, right? Because we don't... Anybody have an ox? If you lived in the ancient world, you'd like to have an ox because an ox could have moved all of that stuff for me yesterday. Right? I just could pile it on the ox and he would move it away. He's a beast of burden. I'd put little baskets on him and throw all that stuff in there and tie that toilet to him and get him out of there. He could carry me. He could carry my family. He could carry my groceries. He could carry my water. It's good to have an ox. But where there is no ox, the barn is clean. But when you have an ox, he goes in the barn, and you know what he does? He does ox stuff. <laughs> and he makes a mess. So where there is no ox, the barn is clean. And where there are no people, wouldn't it be a wonderful world if there were no people? <laughs> you got to love people. And God gives us the ability to, to, to love. And then, and then watch this. Here's what Peter says. We're going to end it with this, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things. Oh, Missed one more thing. Uh, verse 11, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom. So see where Peter starts? He starts with faith in Jesus, what he's done. He did that. That's his thing. You're a recipient of it. He ends this little segment with, you get eternal life. You enter into the eternal kingdom. But there's all this other stuff in between. All this other stuff in between. What other stuff? Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, love, all of these things in between. That's the Christian experience. That's the Christian walk. That's what we need to be doing now. And Peter says in verse 12, I want to remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the, in the truth you now have. So saying this stuff, 
Some of us know this stuff. Some of us are living this stuff. And Peter said, it's still good for you to hear it. still good for you to hear it again. And I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So as long as I'm alive, I'm just going to keep reminding you of this. Of what? That, look, Jesus did it all for you. Like, don't forget that. And that there's, there's a life that we're supposed to be living now. And it is so that we have eternal entrance into the kingdom. Let's remember all those things. Let's remember all of that, and it will put our lives in perspective. And when we gather together, we'll be able to just lift our hands and sing to God because of what he's done for us, what he's doing in us, what he's doing through us, and where he's going to bring us. And we'll just be able to worship him. So Peter said, I think, it's, I think it's okay as long as I'm alive, as long as I'm living, because I know that I will soon put it aside, this tent, this body, as the Lord has made clear to me. You know, he was living under a death sentence. After Jesus was risen from the dead, um, there was some you know, thing about John, you know, what was going to happen with John and and Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, you know, when you were younger, uh, you used to dress yourself. <laughs> Do you remember? Can you think back far enough to when you started to, like, dress yourself, how proud you were that you dressed yourself with all the buttons all crooked and everything, you know? <laughs> he said, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, and you used to go where you wanted to go. He said, but when you're old, he said, somebody else is going to come and grab you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And it says he was speaking of the death that Peter was going to die. And Peter always knew that his death was going to be sort of unusual. It was going to be kind of strange. It was going to be against his will. It wasn't going to be natural. It wasn't going to be the way that people usually die, that he was probably going to die some violent death by somebody who comes and grabs him, kidnaps him of sorts. And Peter ended up dying on a cross himself. And he's living under that every day. But it seems like maybe it's getting even closer for him here. But he said, the Lord's made clear to me I'm going to die. But I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you... I love that departure. Where'd Joe go? He departed. <laughs> um, after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Well, the three R's of learning, the three R's of education, what are they? Repetition, repetition, repetition. You can't get enough of it. Stick to the main and the plain. Read the instructions. Stick to the main and the plain. Old orders are good orders. Stick to the main and the plain. Work the plan. Stick to the main and the plain. There's no new things under the sun. Stick to the main and the plain. Pass it on. This is about abundance. It's not about keeping it all to yourself. It's giving it away because what happens when you get all of that fruit, all of those vegetables from your garden and it's more than you can eat? If you don't give it away, it's just going to rot. So give it away. Keep winning souls. It's not just singing songs. It's winning souls. Lift your eyes up because your redemption draws near. We are almost there. That's why we like to say keep your eyes to the sky. Keep your eyes to the sky, especially now. Seems like a lot of the things that the Bible talks about, you know, in those times just preceding, you know, Jesus breaking in and taking his church and Jesus coming and winding up the end of the age, that so many of those things seem to be lining up. We should be opening up our eyes and looking and waiting because our redemption draws near looking for Jesus to come back. And if he delays, then you'll add decades to your life and you'll go anyway. But keep your eyes to the sky, looking for him. But keep your feet on the ground. Stay rooted. Stay strong. Stay steady. Persevere. And keep your heart with people. You do those simple things, you'll never fall. You'll never be unproductive. You'll never be ineffective. Just keep, 
Keep those things all moving together. <laughs> Just keep them all moving together. Don't stop. Let them, let them work. It's not, it's not just, you know, what he's done. There's more than that. There's the life. There's the Christian life. It's not just the Christian life. There's more than that. There's the cross. It's not just the cross and the Christian life. It's the life to come. It's the, it's, it all moves together. It's not just love. It's, it's self-control. It's not just self-control. It's goodness. It's, not, it's all of that. And it all moves together. How to be balanced? You have to be moving. You have to be growing or you'll never experience it. So um, let's pray and we're going to close with a song here. Um, the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been good. Um, and so sitting where we are, um, Holy Spirit, um, we desire for you to come into our lives and Lord, we know that. We know the theology, sure, you know. Um, you came, you're the down payment. You know, you'll, uh, you'll get us on a train and uh, tickets punched. But Lord, we need power right now. This divine power of God to change us, to transform us. This divine power of God to make us fruitful, to make us effective. To make us have abundant life. For those around us, those in our living room, those in our home, those in our neighborhood, those that we go to school with, those that we work with, those that, that we're involved with teams, those that we play with, Lord, those that we those that we have influence with, Lord, and maybe our influence is beyond our own voice. Maybe our influence goes further because of things that we write. Maybe our influence goes further because of recordings of us. Maybe things go, go further because we're introduced. Who knows, Lord? Use us, expand our influence, move out our tent pegs, Lord, that we might touch people, that we might be a blessing to people. And Lord, we will sing to you because of what you have done. We will never stop singing of this great, great salvation that you have given to us. Lord, we will never stop singing of how great you are. We will never stop singing of your goodness and your kindness. Lord, we will never stop singing about how desperate we were, and you came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he pour out upon you right now spiritual gifts. May he pour out upon you right now healing. May you experience sozo, the salvation of God, the deliverance of God. May he deliver you from drugs, alcohol, pornography. May he deliver you from just being plain mean. Thank you, Lord. And change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.